Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. Write a review, share with a friend. I hope you're sharing with friends. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Help us grow. Today in the booth is us again with the three banging topics. Uh, first of all, last week, everybody's favorite crazy black nationalist uncle, Dr. Umar Johnson, joined the Breakfast Club to break down interracial marriage and interracial relationships. You know, we got to get into that. Secondly, Coinbase and Basecamp, two large tech companies, put out an announcement saying that politics is no longer allowed in the workplace. What does that mean? What are the implications there? And lastly, Willow Smith uh, shouted out on social that she's now poly. What is poly and why, why is that significant? We get into all of it. So kick your feet up and enjoy. Big week, Doc, Dr. Umar week on on the Breakfast Club. All sorts of shenanigans once again from this guy. Uh, for any of our listeners who don't know, Dr. Umar, he, uh, he's, he's I don't know, he's he's kind of like well, he's he's a black nationalist, but he's kind of almost like a like a punching bag. Kind of, he, he's like just a walking meme at this point. Ed, did you uh, check it out? I did. I, I think Doc. Dr. Umar Johnson, I just keeps reflexively saying Dr. Umar Johnson. I don't know is if he's a doctor. Have you seen his papers for him? <laughs> I'm not. Is he a doctor? I have no idea. Whatever. But he had his heyday. It's when you think about the most vocal black nationalists, whether they explicitly uh, identify with that term or not, it is all of a black nationalist tradition, like sort of pro-black and and um, quasi-separatism type stuff. But him and like Tariq Nasheed, I think, are the most vocal that have online followings. So my buddy's always my buddy. I don't even know if he's joking. And my buddy often sends me Tariq videos and Dr. Umar videos because um, they're usually just they've made documentaries. They have some sort of following. They've created some kinds of organizations. But I think it's at this point that Dr. Umar has lapsed more into like self-parody and been more of the punchline, like you mentioned, Farb. So, I mean, you know, the biggest troll on the the uh, sort of black journalist troll is Charlemagne. Charlemagne knew if he brought Dr. Omar Johnson on, he knew it would trend on the Internet like it always does. Cut up, you know. It's like a ratings bonanza. I can't even tell you how many videos I was sent by people. And the one that definitely was getting sent the most was his whole thing on interracial dating. And I think he was talking about selling snow bunny flip-flops <laughs> for all the black men dating white women or something. I don't know, which, you know, is, is definitely like his, his go-to, but we haven't discussed interracial dating. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a product of interracial marriage, interracial dating. So anything, any theory that negates my existence I'm going to, of course, be against. <laughs> so, you know, where I stand on it. And um, I mean, I'm someone I date across all what, if you want to call them races, you know, there's just one human race, obviously, but I date across cultures for sure. Should we like not even be like referring to it as like race? Like, I like how you just said like culture, ethnicity, like that's why we black is capital B, right? It's ethnicity really when you think about it, or that's how it's being used in this specific situation. 
And it's just like, even just the fact of like interracing, it's like you were saying, Ed, earlier, and you can go into this, is basically just doubling down on there being different races. Yeah, that's exactly it. Interracial, the, the premise of the concept of interracial dating, it presumes that two monoracial people come together to produce mixed offspring. There is no such thing as being monoracial. There is no pure black race. There is no pure white race. We're all just white. G, do you consider yourself? Hmm? I was just going to say, G, do you consider yourself mixed or just black? I consider myself both. I consider myself black first and biracial or a mixed second um, because I look in terms of culture and I look in terms of the system in which I live. Growing up, you know, I could go into any room full of black folks or black family or even brown folks and they don't blink an eye. I'm just family, you know? I can't do the same in an all white room because of the systems in which we live. So culturally, and I grew up more with my black side of my family. And that's why I put so much emphasis on culture because um, I tend to want to date people who have a similar type of cultural upbringing than myself. Although I date all across culture, I do feel like they understand, we understand each other a little better. Just the nuances, the TV shows we grew up with, the the music we grew up with, the food we grew up with, you know, so there's that level of familiarity and it doesn't have to be a race thing. You know, I've dated another mixed race woman who, you know, mother or father was white, mother was black, but she grew up around the white side of her family. So although technically we were kind of similar mix or um, we, we weren't very compatible because culturally we we just didn't get each other a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, no I think that's does. a great breakdown because I don't see anything wrong per se in in wanting to be with someone that shares your cultural experiences, right? That actually makes all the sense. But when you start breaking down explicitly on race, and, and yes, a, a lot of times they might be attached, but... I just think it starts creating like a larger way of it just it just dovetails back into the way always we think of just just simply race and just I don't know it just complicates things. But if someone were to say, "I want to date someone who's culturally similar to me, and that by and large is also someone that's black and I'm black," I get that that totally makes sense. Just someone might if certain things, but it's pre I think it's premising it strictly on the racial thing, and then of course you know making it where if you are someone who's black and you're dating a white person or or if you're Indian and you're dating an Indian per- whatever these things and these stigmas that we create around it when you do it outside that to me is just it to me it's 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 beyond unhealthy yeah i mean that's the thing i think what's silly about the whole conversation is like anybody thinking that they know best of who someone else should love point blank period right. That's just some silly, controlling, manipulative, almost self-hatred shit going on right there. That you think that you um, have the authority to, that you know what's best that for someone who they should love. You you know what I mean? Or that in some way, it's coming from a place of fear or that somehow if they don't right date somebody within their race, then that's detrimental to the race. You're basing all of it all based off of... Um, something that's scientifically disproven. There's no such thing as race. So what you're coming is is from a place of fear, not a place of love. So I I think that's what's silly about the conversation in general. I'm going to love who 
whoever I want to love. You know, it doesn't matter how they identify. You know, as long as they're an adult, we can have, you know, some intimacy or affection or love. I agree. Culture and ethnicity have nothing to do with race. Nothing. I'm culturally black and I'm culturally Dominican. There are no percentages because when you talk about half this or a quarter this, you're 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 using biological terms. You're tracing it to blood, and like G said, has been disproven for years, for decades, maybe not decades, years. When when did that National Geographic thing come out? When we mapped the human genome or whatever the hell. Anyway, but so like race categories of race are nothing but tools of like oppression, oppressive categories. So like the baggage of interracial, the, the term interracial relationship or the, or the premise of, of their people coming together and, and producing interracial um, offspring is just like, it's just tied to slavery. I'm, I'm sorry to say it. I mean, I know people are probably tired of hearing about like slavery, how things tie back to slavery, but it a hundred percent is. And that they exist, uh, these, you know, vestiges and these categories come directly from that. I mean, it's just, it is just like, very simply put, race was just created to demarcate enslaved people and free people. That is the only thing that it was created to do back in the day, right? And then, so, and in, in to create like slave status as being heritable, there are over 200 types of slavery, you know, across just human history and, and um geographical history slave slave status is not always heritable in america it created it as being a heritable status so in order to tie your offspring to it didn't their parents, start as, as as that though right that came later it wasn't came later no it was right. it wasn't originally it, it it developed over over right. over decades in the colonies but it, to, in order to organize heritable slave status we we called it race not only that but sort of marriage, intermarriage, and intersexual relationships um, in a caste system, like it's called endogamy, where you are not allowed to marry outside of your status, your societal status. So that's why you have, um, after slavery collapsing and slave status no longer needing to be a thing, endogamy continued to be a thing. And then you get anti-miscegenation laws where quote unquote black people and quote unquote white people were you know, let alone able to live in the same neighborhoods, it was illegal for them to marry, to um, get together sexually or casually, or even be friends. Um, I mean, in order to, so this is, this is the separation of social circles in order to keep people apart and to keep people in their station within the caste system. So, I mean, like, it's, it's not that anymore, right? The Supreme Court 67 loving, uh, Virginia v. Loving, and it, you know, Supreme Court comes down and says anti-miscegenation laws are strike down. But the language of inter interracial comes from that. We still use it. It's ridiculous. It has nothing to do with anything. You know what I mean? Like, but here's here's the tricky part about it as well, though. Like, Dr. Umar coming from a black nationalist, there's this whole like pro-black, black unity thing where it's like marry other black people, the black family, black love. That's something that's different that that black people can do sometimes inside of a community that I think where Doc, Dr. Umar, I'm just going to call him Umar, where Umar is coming from. You know what I mean? He's he's 
he's speaking to that part of us where we want unity and self-determination and we can pick ourselves up. We can do these things like that. That part of black nationalism, I think, is really useful in political terms. But when it comes when you use that, like G say, G said to say you can only marry this person inside of this group. I don't I don't see how that is not still connected to um, anti-miscegenation laws. It is. I mean, I don't know. It's like really interesting these days to just have conversations with folks who haven't quite gotten there yet to understand these social constructs in which we have been imposed on us and that it takes some time to unlearn these concepts of race or even marriage. Right, marriage. <laughs> there you go. Another social or what, how, how we perceive marriage here, here in America, in Europe, you know, versus culturally elsewhere, how they perceive marriage. But, you know, I guess you, you meet people where they're at and yeah, the more the more focus we we have on on people who are feeding the fear based energy into society, the more platforms we give them. Um, I, I appreciate the conversation that's generated of it, you know. But at the same time, I, I think we should be spreading more ideas, more nuanced and complex ideas that um, that go beyond the the silly boxes and labels that. You know, mo- I feel like most of most people are understanding aren't really reality. I think most people. I don't know what most people think, honestly. Maybe not. Maybe this is why this is trending. Um, well, who you can date and who you can marry is such a conversation for all kinds of people, and I think that right, is why yeah. you don't have to be. You know, that's why I mentioned being Jewish or being Indian or being whatever. You know, these are pressures you get in all sorts of societies obviously we're using this specific one but it it has been something that has been boxed in and indoctrinated and people do feel tremendous pressure around so it is very it, it feels so antiquated but it is sadly very relatable for so many people yeah it breaks my heart that you know people have to move a certain way in order not to feel that pressure from family and society or love a certain way or you know it, it leads to all types of facades and beards and people not living their fullest life, not not living their freest life. And it's, that's what's really heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, you bring up, I mean, y'all bring up a good point. The, just marriage, marriage mates, the practice of, of, of intermarrying into certain groups is aside from an anti-miscegenation American thing. It's, it's just a true thing everywhere. You know, folks from who, uh, you know, immigrate over, come from old countries, wherever they may be, have certain religious traditions and, you know, that is completely, um, you know, imbued into marriage and, and, and everything as well. And I think that that's really complex and needs, it needs to be um, absolutely analyzed in its own terms. But the interracial thing is just so complete fiction. I mean, would we consider somebody of Irish ancestry and somebody of Italian, uh, Italian ancestry to be um, in an interracial relationship if they were dating? Back in the day, we may 100 have. hundred years ago. A hundred years, we may have, yeah. It shows you how malleable and how fucking stupid those categories are. And then lastly, like, um, there is no such thing as pure black because of the one drop rule. One drop of quote unquote black blood, which is like, is not scientific, makes you black because of the laws of colonial enslavement. So black by definition is mixed. So if you have, uh, you know, a black person and get together with this person, all black people are mixed, especially people that um, 
have descendants that go deep into American history and enslavement. Black blood is was by law considered a pollutant, where, whereas white blood was fencing off black blood, white purity, black pollution. That's where that's where the, the one drop rule comes from. So there are no single races to be mixed in the first place. Sorry, I just had to. It was so fucking. No. I just had to get that off my chest. Well, I, I look the you know the whole point of this podcast is to have these type of conversations, and I think what's refreshing is you know we have a long way to go as a society, but at least conversations like this are starting to air out, which is why on Twitter a few months ago Coinbase got so much love or not so much love got so much hate. Um, and they're the company that just IPO'd for like $100 billion and all these things. But previous to them IPOing, they came out and said, we are not going to talk about any issues at work. It is not a place for it. And then all, all these like libertarians and, you know, right wing people and whoever were like, when they IPO'd, were like, see, a company can like not be the, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, inundated <laughs> by the woke mob and be a really rich company. And they felt like it was this big victory for them. And then even though that's like every company doesn't really talk about shit. So that's just uh, how things go. And then in the past, like 24, 48 hours, Basecamp, which I never really understand what Basecamp does, but I guess they build, I think they build apps. I know they have like some sort of like management tool that people use to communicate within your company. And I guess the founders typically have been pretty liberal online and they came out with a long memorandum saying that they are also seizing to allow they become an apolitical place where people can't use the base camp communications tool to chat about politics and everyone flipped out on at least on twitter uh or at least on you know the left side of things you know i read the memorandum i actually can understand at least the point that having lots of political conversations at work can be very detrimental to actually being effective and getting work done because these things take hours of time. And at work, like you should be kind of getting work done, not necessarily doing these things. But I also get the larger point of just generally stifling conversations that our society has never had and starting to have. And so, Ed, I'm curious as someone who works, you know, you're hiring, but you're, you're like HR adjacent, I guess. Like, mm -hmm. How does something like this, how do you see this when it like translates to like a company like you work at? Like, is there a rule around this? Uh, no, there's not a rule like this at Genius. But has it ever even been addressed? Like this is a new thing for it even to be, I think, addressed this bluntly. Yeah, I haven't heard it been addressed this bluntly before. Basecamp, Basecamp is an old company. They were around in like the 90s. So they're like a project management tool. So like internally, when you have people that are working together on projects, this just helps organize it's like a, it's, who does what. It's like a Slack-ish thing kind of, right? right? Yeah, there's communication within it, but it's also, uh, yeah, it just helps organize tasks for people to do and stuff. Super basic. So I think that they, it's interesting, they can kind of get away with it because they're this like this B2B, super basic, like they're so far from anything cultural or, or you know, human that I think that they, they have an interesting niche where they, where they can do this. The, right. The, it's not, the it's not is, like their customer base. They're not, yeah, they're not B2C. Yeah. They're, 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 they're a company. Uh, they sell to companies. Like that's how they make money. But there's this interesting, like for years. And I, I just, I just was watching this WeWork documentary. Here's, here's the backdrop for years, probably starting in like the, 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 the 2010s and stuff. Tech started to become more of like this 
social, let's change the world, having these mission statements, which are inherently political. You know what I mean? Like WeWork is like, let's change the way people work together. And it was almost, it was very cultish in the way that the CEO would propagandize what they were doing right. and, and, and bring employees in so that they felt like they were, their work had true meaning. And I think a lot of young people that work at companies, especially within tech, want to feel like their jobs um, are meaningful and are uh, uh, producing good in the world. So for companies that have those kinds of mission statements or those draws, uh, or claim to have those kind of effects out in society, they can't, they're, they're in, inherently political. I don't think they can get away with this versus Basecamp, a boring ass project management tool. I think they can skirt around and be like, we're just business. We're just, you know, we're corporate. We don't tell you what to do with your, you know, we look the other way for in terms of your personal life. We stay out of politics altogether. So it's interesting, but most companies can't do what they're doing, I think, because of that. But also one of their things that I that I have in front of me, it's like this, you know, they, they numbered out here, are the things we're going to do. Boom, boom, boom. No, no more societal and political discussions on our company base camp account. This whether they I don't think they or they do kind of talk about it. You, you can no longer have employee resource groups. Do you all know what those are? No. What are those companies? So an employee resource group is if you are working at a company and you are a numerical minority, companies can put together, which black people always are, companies put together employee resource groups and there's like the black group at the company. Um, and you, uh, you know, you, you have a, a safe, for lack of a better uh, term, safe space to just be with folks that you have a shared experience with and get resources and build camaraderie and have a place that you can go, um, uh, uh, you know, to feel like you have connections outside of your immediate team if you're a numerical minority. So they have those for black folks, Asian, LGBTQ+, um, uh, Latinx, all of these ERG groups. I think Basecamp is saying like they have to do away with those because one of the things was saying, we're going to leave the DEI responsibility and decisions to our head of people ops, which is one person. That's tricky. So I, I basically what they're saying is uh, Basecamp, hey, black people, if you want to go work for Basecamp, uh, they're going to have no ERG groups. They're going to have they're never going to speak about how you are black and may have be dealing with some things in society. Zero conversation or acknowledgement of that on Basecamp uh, premises or online. Is that something that is going to help with recruiting? Is that going to is that something that's going to help with these times? I think that is some part that uh, is going to have you know a bad effect for what they're trying to do right now. Wow, that's pretty bold. It's a bold move. You know what I mean? It, it it definitely sets an interesting standard. And what I was reading was they used to like make up like kind of like inappropriate like ethnic names or something for like the longest time that they would use <laughs> like as, just to like keep themselves like entertained and like as it went on over and over like especially in the recent years people were kind of like yeah this is kind of awkward but they kind of still had it and then and then it sounds like it kind of came to a hold and then they suddenly were like oh yeah we're just we're not gonna have any groups to talk about any of this stuff it was almost like they were doing like not like the worst shit but like just some dumb stuff that shouldn't have been happening and then they started to build these committees like apparently they had a dei committee that a bunch of people volunteered for themselves and there was like a lot of traction and they were just like, no, 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 this is getting in the way of productivity. Let's gather way. And it's like, I mean, I can imagine it is getting in the way of productivity because these are crazy times and there's a lot to move through. So on like a very like, you know, binary scale, I get that 
and and, and some of that did make sense to me. But like, yeah, to but, your point, Ed, yeah. if you're if all these companies are saying we're going to change the world, we're doing all these things, we welcome all this stuff, and now we're saying, uh, uh-uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, no, for real, I, I think, and I'd have to look at Basecamp stuff. But right now, what is happening, which they, I think that they're probably basing this off of, is there's a lot of performative DE&I stuff, quote-unquote anti-racism training stuff happening at companies that is probably driving people insane because, even, like, the, you know, the excess part of it where it's like, it, it, it can just go a little bit too far and be a little bit too performative. And I think pushing back against that is 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 healthy in a nuanced way but to just say to get rid of it all together is quite another thing i mean and you all like you know farb you 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 run a company that builds community gee you are an artist an activist all these things you all do actual t- you know tangible work but like the corporate consultant that comes in and like bullshits their way through some dei consulting it is kind of a waste of time and that that industry is booming right now. So I'm going to be devil's advocate a little bit because I was thinking through this and I was like, okay, on my team, how much of this could be a distraction? And everyone on my team is pretty far left, like tip tip of the spear progressive. Um, we don't – and then I was like, but we don't really actually spend much time talking about any of the stuff. Like we might in our off hours or like when we're not working – but maybe it's because we all kind of just know that we're like doing the work and we're generally aligned. So we don't feel as much of a need to, you know, if something really specific, we'll take a moment, we'll talk about it. But I was like, oh, it's not really dragging us down. But I was like, what if though, we're a hundred, we're suddenly we're a hundred person company and yeah. we've hired some great tech person and he never talks about anything. And now suddenly he is some, consp- he, he starts spouting randomly some conspiracy stuff. That's going to cause that 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 causes a whole fucking thing, and then suddenly shit is upside down, and everyone is talking about it. It's now there's committees. Now people are emailing me asking me what I'm going to do. Someone is now feeling like I need to fire them. All this stuff, and let's just say that person was a really great employee and good at what they were done, but they were anti what everyone else stood for. That gets really fucking tricky, and I can understand where I can at least understand the logic behind someone if that's the case where they're like we just got to shut this all down even if we lean in one direction because this is just a liability nightmare well there's i think there's, there's levels that like you should not be talking about who you're going to vote for in your in your company you know what i mean so like on the on the communication chain i mean it's actually kind of in my mind i was like wait i mean no one really should just be like bullshitting on the community like you should be doing work on the work chain. So that to me seemed a little cut and dry as opposed Word. to like having time at lunch or having spaces to talk about these things and saying you can't do that at all. I, I do think there should be a division, but. The problem is that partisan politics has now merged with this larger division of oppression and, and power. It wasn't always like that. Partisan politics, who are you going to vote for, da-da-da-da, like that kind of thing. Sure, it could just be just politics, just partisanship. But now, like, what's on the line is, like, black equality, combating uh, police brutality. You know what I mean? These are things that are now bounded up with partisan politics in a way that is 
like just more salient than they ever have been. So like you can say, I think it's fair to be like, we don't want to talk about partisan politics in the company, but there's so much more that it is tied to that it's kind of hard to get away with it now, get away from it now these days. You know what I mean? But here's what a DE&I consultant, consultancy should do is there are larger power dynamics um, and larger societal power analysis that seeps into your corporation and your and your company can by accident perpetuate these power imbalances that exist outside the company inside the company these are things that you need to understand is there a double standard in terms of promotional tracks for black people at your company is there a double standard in terms of interview stage conversion for black people at your company these are things that need to be looked at and addressed what you don't need to do is like you don't need to you don't need to te make everybody read white fragility that's what you don't need to do um right Facts. you know what i mean so like there's a lot there's there's a lot of nuance going on here and base camp just saying we're throwing it all out of the window don't bring any of that shit over here it's bold but it's just like not gonna work because they exist in america well i, I want to round us out on something a little bit uh more simple but i i just came across uh that willow smith just came out saying she's poly and we were talking about this offline and and g what, what did you say to that what was your response it's not shocking to me poly polyamory and exploring uh what love could be what relationships can look like outside of the binary single married or single coupled structure is something that more and more people are looking into not just younger people either so i'm not shocked by that at all um gee what is polyamory um i don't know the exact definition but to me it means loving multiple people being in love and expressing your love with multiple people hopefully who are all also consenting to your lifestyle and being open about that and not lying that's what it means to me i'm sure there's a lot more complexity to it it's funny because it's like I, I feel like the first time i heard about polly hemory was like going to burning man years ago uh, and i to me you know it was it was a little bit like I was like, I, I got the concepts more out there, but you know, I am at. I, I would love to see some sort of statistics on Gen Z on like how many, as it relates to uh, gender, or you know, you know, uh, poly or sexual preference, or just these different like spectrums, just like where things are moving from like Gen X to Millennial to them, and I have to imagine. It's just this constant movement because, you know, for them growing up, the conversation, the conversations that we certainly were not having, I feel like from a young age have been at the forefront for them. I mean, even just in popular culture. So this, this isn't such a shock. Shocking is a good word. I've definitely experimented with polyamory, sure. you know, um, being raised Muslim, like the concept of like multiple spouses was something that I kind of learned about early on is not such a taboo thing, but like some cultures, it's just their reality is not something like, oh, this is evil or like, I didn't grow up with that concept of like, you're a weirdo if you want to have multiple partners that night, like, not at all. So in my adulthood, I've experimented with polyamory 
um, pretty unsuccessfully, I think. <laughs> Why unsuccessful? You got to be a real secure person to do that and not really harbor these notions of possession and be with people who don't harbor notions of possessing people as, as a foundation mm. of their subconscious. And growing up as an American, which everything is about possession and what I own and how that makes me look, it's hard to separate that too, like to unlearn that. It's, it's a process. So that's why it has been un unsuccessful for me, whether it's coming from my end and, and me not unlearning that fully before jumping into that or trying to find partners who are consenting to my polyamory. Um, I had a girl straight up tell me recently, she was like, yeah, you're not going to find anyone who's cool with this. And and she did, you know, like we tried to date and, and she, I was just like, dang, well, you got to say it like that. She was like, yeah, nah, but you know, I think it really narrows the dating pool for me for, for sure. It's already kind of a narrow dating pool. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's complicated, but I do believe that you can, but then there's part of me who's like super monogamous and I just like want to deal with one person because like a relationship with one person is hard and a lot and you have to put a lot into that for it to grow and nourish. So doing it with multiple people um, can be draining and exhausting. In your situation of po like just the poly, are you trying to equally balance whoever the other people are or is there like one main person and everything else is kind of more fun? Like how, like how does that communicated? And is it kind of just for me personally? And I don't know if I'm practice practicing polyamory right now, like as we speak right now, but in the past, yeah, I would try to balance it out equally. And I've tried this weird hierarchical prioritizing situation too just to see kind of what works because I, because I don't have like a clear blueprint of like what this is supposed to be like. I have friends who, who are poly and I, you know, I haven't seen, I've seen it done successfully probably like out of 10% of like my poly friends and those, that, those 10% is like beautiful and ideal. Just like how we look at marriage, right? Like between two people, it's like, we know there's like a huge divorce rate and like a lot of us grow up without having that image of like what it means to be into a long-term marriage. I'm talking like 40 years or until death. It's, it's, it's kind of rare as well. So if you don't have those archetypes to kind of look at and try to mold, it's, it's difficult. You kind of just winging it and you, you and that person or you and these people make it what it is. Like we decide, we set our boundaries. And as long as everybody is feeling loved and being kind with each other, then, then it's working. I got another just practical, practical question. question. I'm, I'm very, very curious, curious about this, G. Um, you better not say no left field shit. <laughs> no, 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 no. Would you hang like together or was it always like one in one? <laughs> yeah, never, never together. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to unlearn those things of jealousy and possession. And, you know, I can be a jealous person if I'm really, really into somebody. Um, I can also not be if that's what the boundary is set you know like i dated a woman who was married and she was married to her husband for six years when we started dating and he knew about everything and i met him and all of these things so the first year it was cool like we had our boundaries um he had his boundaries i had mine everyone was operating with respect and then i started to like catch feelings you know we her and i started to catch stronger feelings for each other and it kind of complicated things 
um, with time. So yeah, and I was dating multiple people at that time as well and loving on other people. But yeah, we would never intertwine and bring yeah, for me, that just hasn't happened. But I know that some poly people do do that, you know, and do it successfully. It was like, oh, like these are my girlfriends or these are my boyfriends and we all like hang together, which I think is really interesting and cool if, if that people can get to a certain level of, uh, what do you call, just like non-possession to where you can be cool with that. It's, it's a beautiful thing, mm. I think, worth exploring. So I have a question. Do you think this is e it's easier for women to have this? Because to me, when I think about this from the male side. Go ahead, Farron. This is where I was going to go. This is where it I feels like go. Go very patriarchal, to your point, possessive and like you and power and, and, and like submissive. Like the examples you usually hear, like, you know, like the Mormons or whatever. And it's like he's got these women and he's like the head person. And so to me, when you're describing this from the female side, maybe this is like sexist of me or maybe this is just the way i've been like thinking about it but i don't i don't feel it in such a way but as a, as a if you gave me these examples from the, the male perspective i'd be like oh shit like i don't know is that like is that like I, i'm thinking more of the power perspective like ed is, is that kind of how you were thinking about it yeah yeah i i um the way g was describing g the way you were describing a lot of poly relationships uh not just yours in general poly relationships uh, falling apart because of jealousy and, and uh, people being possessive. I couldn't help but think about dudes, American dudes, uh, and, and sort of the, the jealousy and the possessiveness of having, um, needing a woman to be a dependent of yours and that sort of subordination and them being treated, you know, like, like property, like that's a little, uh, 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 you know, Kurt, but, but like, you know, in that way and, but somewhat. and, and somewhat, right. But the, the whole jealousy, the, the jealousy hundred percent tied into power of the power of being a man. And, and, you know, you know, I got this girl that I got a couple of these girls, like it is just completely inseparable from that for men in this country. Mm. Someone recently gave me a distinction between polygamy and polyamory. And I don't, I can't speak to exactly what they said. I was kind of zoning in and out, but they were talking about that there's a difference between the two of like it coming from a patriarchal standpoint and it coming from like an actual love standpoint and uh, love and openness. But I've definitely seen what you're talking about as well in my close personal circles where um, maybe a straight cis man, this is his, this is what he wants to do. He wants to have multiple women and this particular situation it was like yeah i need them to be financially dependent on me right right which automatically is messed up because the power structure is now messed up to where if this woman needs needs to leave for other reasons it's much harder for her to leave so it just it dilutes the consent a little bit you know but you know when people are consenting and a woman saying or i don't know an, another man is saying, you know, I'm cool with this. I will be dependent on you. Like, just pay my bills and da, da, da. like, this is what I'm opting into. Then it's kind of like, who are we to say that, you know, that that's wrong if it is to consenting adults. But I definitely have seen like what, what you're saying and the, the problem with that possession and property aspect yeah. of that. But yeah, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm really talking about from right. a place of 
um, unconditional love. Like I want this, I want to experience this person. If this person leaves my life, it's not that I lost them. I have returned them and hopefully, hopefully I've returned them in a better spiritual state than when I found them. And like, while they were with me, I, I took good care of them, but they're not, I, they don't belong to me. I would be, I, I would love to see, and I don't know if you know this G, but like poly relationships, I think will just always forever be tainted to some degree in America because of our history and our structures. And I imagine that poly relationships would probably flourish in other countries outside of America. And I wonder if that's the case. Do you know that at all? Or My intuition says that it is probably true just because of this um, huge emphasis on property and status also of like how we, how we view our partner of like, you know, this when, you know, I'm supposed to have a partner, I'm supposed to have a house, a car, I'm supposed to have a good job. Like these are all these things that I'm, in order to be considered a successful American adult, I need these exactly. things. And to separate exactly. that and is really difficult. That's, that's, that's a lifetime of unlearning those systems before you, you can reach to a point where your, your love can be of, of purity with somebody. Well put. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm very interested. I think um, from the way you described it, I can see how technically I, I see where people can conflate polygamy and polyamory without even knowing the definitions, but it sounds like polygamy is definitely more wrapped specifically into that power structure into the way we think of like kind of some of these Mormon offshoots not being able to get away, you know, financially dependent. Whereas polyamory, as you are saying, is not defined by imbalances in power, but is more ephemeral, just love, which obviously is harder to understand and can sound out there. But um, I can see where something with Gen Z and people trying to continuously in younger generations get rid of the way we define things to be something that's really, you know, gravitating to them. Polygamy. I just looked it up. Polygamy is the practice of marrying multiple spouses when a man is married to more than one wife at the same time. Sociologists call this polygamy. When a woman is married to more than one husband at a time, it is called polandry. I will give you a million dollars if you if you could find me a woman who has several husbands in America. There's, there's no way that exists. <laughs> no way. I'm going to find her. Watch. Find her. Find her. I will bet a hundred on it. I'm going to find her. All right. I need that buck. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, but what you're saying is real. I don't think there are as, as many examples of that. You know, absolutely not. And also I've, I've been thinking about it recently also. So I'm Muslim and I recently started dating another woman who's Muslim. And I asked her about that. I was like, how do you feel about like women having multiple wives? Because it's even the, the, it's so taboo in islamic culture also even just to be gay right or speak you know to be out is is um i haven't met a lot of people even in america who are open um and like what would that look like if you know if you know we i had multiple wives and you know getting her her <laughs> opinion on that but her and i also grew up in very different uh islamic households so she she's sunni you know, our parents follow the Sunnah Hadith and, you know, I was more liberal, um, Americanized form of Islam from someone who, uh, you know, my father converted 
to Islam when he, he as an adult, like her whole household and community was was built around these specific structures. But yeah, there's a lot of things you just don't see. And I, I that's why I like it when, you know, if like Willow Smith is just being herself and being like, you know, this is my truth. I, I, I really appreciate that because I, I think it, people need to see more more things that break the old paradigms as an example, because like you said, I was like, I don't see a lot of women with multiple husbands, right? But, you know, we just don't see that. We don't hear about it. It's not in the mainstream. It's that's like too, too shaking the foundation of patriarchy, right? So I appreciate when people are just like rocking with their truth and, you know, inspiring folks just by being themselves, you know, of like, oh, you know, this is okay if, it's, if this is who you are as well. G's about to get that bread. She's going to be married to two people by next week. <laughs> All right. Just to, just to stipulate a woman with multiple husbands, not a woman with multiple wives. Got you. No, no, no. I got you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right good. Next week, I'm going to have an answer for you. I'm going to find All her. Right, I want to, I want to see it. I want to see it. So for, for, th- for those listening, you got to tune into the next episode to see who won. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, this is, this is ending on more of a positive note. I like it. We, we, we've had, we, we know we like to go into some heavy shit, so. This, this, this feels good. It's good, good for the soul. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.